Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. We're going to talk about Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is a a strange character. Um, in fact, there's not a whole lot of verses in your Bible that talk about this uh, individual of Melchizedek. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 14, and this is where we first encounter our subject. And a little bit of background here on the, the events. First of all, this is taking place at a time... Uh, you remember Abram has been, I mean, if you think about where we are in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, um, chapter, you know, chapter uh, 11, you have the, the Tower of Babel, right? Chapter 12, you're first introduced to a man named Abram. And uh, just a couple chapters later here, uh, chapter 14, uh, we're still early in the, in the life of Abram. And you remember when, when Abram left, his, he, the Lord told him to leave his uh, father's house. He, he left, but he didn't leave all of his father's house behind. He took Lot with him. Um, Lot would have been his, his uh, nephew and... Um, Brings, brings him along with him, and, and Lot really causes nothing but trouble for Abram. Um, he would have done better to obey the Lord in the first place. Uh, eventually, they wind up separated anyway, because it didn't work out for them to, to uh, be together. But uh, chapter 14, Genesis chapter 14, verse 1, it says, It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Keterleomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. And these kings that are mentioned here in, in this passage, they aren't, uh, they aren't kings of some, you know, some vast country. Uh, basically, those areas it mentions there are basically cities. Okay, and uh, uh, Lot is living here in this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, if you remember when when Lot and Abram separate, uh, the land is is better down there uh, around Sodom and Gomorrah, and and Lot goes there and it says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And you know there's a there's a progression you see in Lot's life because you may if you're familiar with with uh, these chapters of Genesis, uh, you know that that later on when the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, He delivers Lot out of Sodom. And, and Lot is not only living in Sodom, but he's part of the, part of the government there in Sodom. Um, he goes from, from pitching his tents toward, toward Sodom to you know, being there right in the, in the middle of all that wickedness. But uh, there's, 
there's some conflict going on here between these various kings. And you see in verse 3, it says, All these were joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Now, uh, if, you, if you know your geography, uh, there in that part of the world, the Salt Sea would be a reference to the Dead Sea. And uh, if, you ever, if you ever look at a map there of uh, that part of the world, you have the, the Sea of Galilee up in the north of Israel. And the Jordan River forms the, the uh, eastern border of Israel. You remember when, when the Lord brings them into the Promised Land. The Promised Land was on the west side of the Jordan River. There were a few tribes that stayed over on the, on the east side of the Jordan River. But that Jordan River flows south then and empties into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea has no outlet. So, you know, so it basically it gets all the all the runoff from those mountains and things run down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea and uh there's you wind up with a pretty high concentration of various minerals there in the Dead Sea and it's called the Dead Sea because outside of I think I think there may be uh, one one form of algae or, or something that lives in the Dead Sea, but nothing else can live there. And uh, that's that's the area here where Sodom was located. Uh, now, the Lord eventually destroys Sodom to such a degree that you can't go and find out with any degree of certainty uh, where Sodom was. Um, the Lord just sort of wiped it off the face of the earth. But, but that's the area down here. Uh, it mentions a, a valley there, the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. And so... Uh, you see, you see the, the two sides there. Uh, you have Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Keterleomer, king of Elam, Tito, king of nations on the one side, and Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, um, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela. And you have these, these alliances that are made. And they go to war with one another. And in verse 4, you see it says, Twelve years they served Keterleomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Keterleomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Amims in Shava, Kiriathim. Now, uh, this, this Keterleomer, he is uh, described as being the, the king of Elam, and... These kings that had been subject to him for 12 years, they decide to rebel. Now, he doesn't immediately, immediately go and conquer those kings. You see, it mentions these other people here that, that uh, he says he smote. Uh, the Rephaims, the Zuzims, the Emims. You go uh, look up those people in, in other passages in Scripture and you find out those people were all giants. Um, the Rephaims, for instance, and mentions mentions uh, Rapha, uh, one of the giants. The Zuzims. These are these are uh, some of these same giants that later the Israelites would encounter in the land. And uh, what he appears to be doing there is, you know, he's got uh, you have this alliance of kings, and they have threats around their borders, and they're kind of taking out some of the other threats so that he can go back and and uh, subjugate these kings that are in rebellion. And in verse 7, it says, They returned and came to En-Mishpat, which is Kadesh. Now, uh, 
Larry was talking about Kadesh earlier. Um, here's that, that, same, that same area, uh, that same area where Israel rebelled and refused to go into the promised land. This would be previous to that. But uh, they returned and came to En Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim with Keterlaomer, the king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings with five. And the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And so, you know, their their battle here was not with Lot. He just happens to be in the area and he's one of those that is taken captive. And um, Lot, understand that, you know, Abram and, and Lot, they were not just kind of poor wanderers in the wilderness. These, these were powerful men. Sometimes you get the idea uh, of some of these people that they were just sort of, you know, like, like Abram, maybe it was just him and, and Sarai, and they were on their own. But um, in fact, you're going to see here, he's got 300 and some servants that he can go and send to fight. Uh, that wouldn't be counting other servants who wouldn't be fit to fight, right? These are these are great men. So when it t- says that they took uh, they took lots, it says they took Lot and his goods and departed. He's a pretty wealthy guy, but um, so so Lot is taken captive there. And in verse 13 it says there came one that had escaped. And told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Honor. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, it's using brother there in the, in the wider sense of, you know, his, his relative. Uh, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Uh, now, now, Abram is not, I mean, his goal isn't here to go and, and defeat these kings. His goal is to go and rescue Lot. That's what, that's what he's after. All right. And he puts together his own private army to go and accomplish that. And uh, he, he arms them. Um, verse 15, it says, He divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night. And smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Now understand what he's doing here is he's pursuing. These kings have come in. They've taken captives. They've taken a whole lot of spoil. And they're on their way back home. And he pursues them and catches up with them on the way and takes all the stuff back and, and rescues Lot. 
All right. So he's not going and, and conquering their city or, or something like that. They're not in some entrenched position. Uh, they're basically on their way home with everything they want in the war. And, um, and, and Abram is able to catch up to them and, and rescue Lot. And it's, on, it's after this battle then that Abram is going to meet this man named Melchizedek. And uh, he, rescue, he rescues Lot in, in verse 16 and, uh, and a whole lot of other people as well. And in verse 17, it says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Keterleomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And then verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Now, um, sometimes uh, people question even even the validity of this passage here. You see, in verse 17, it's talking about the king of Sodom going to meet Abram. And if you skip down to verse 21, you see again, it's, it's back with the king of Sodom. But you have these couple of verses in the middle where it mentions this encounter with Melchizedek. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible correctors look at that and they say, well, those, those verses about Melchizedek, somebody must have added that in later. Uh, that's why it skips from the king of Sodom to Melchizedek and then, and then back to the king of Sodom. Uh, I think there's an important reason why that event is there in, in the middle of, of what's going on there. But uh, verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And that's the extent of the description here of this encounter with Melchizedek. Um, now, a couple of things before we go over to the book of Hebrews. Um, so, first of all, that name Melchizedek, it calls him the king of Salem. Um, whether or not Salem is a, is a you know, a, a literal place on earth, uh, we'll kind of see some things about that in, in Hebrews. But he's described here as a king, and in fact, the name Melchizedek itself uh, would, the, the first part of the name, uh, the Hebrew word melech, is the word for king. You see that in Old Testament names like uh, the name Abimelech. Abimelech means father king. Okay, uh, That's the first part of that name, Melchizedek. And the last part of the name is the Hebrew word for righteousness. And so this man, his name literally means the, the king of righteousness. He's described here as being the, the king of Salem. He just sort of comes out of, of nowhere there. And he brings forth bread and wine. Um, you know, certainly, certainly as believers, those symbols of bread and wine uh, play an important part in, in uh, the New Testament and in Paul's epistles. Uh, but he brings forth bread and wine. He, and interestingly enough, he's called the priest of the Most High God. 
Now, this is long before there's a nation of Israel. This is long before there's a, a, a priesthood that's set up with the line of Aaron. Long before any of that, uh, there, is, there isn't even a nation of Israel here at this point. Uh, this, is, this is really the first, first reference to a priest of God uh, in your Bible. And, and it's, you know, where'd this guy come from? Um, you, you know, Abram, Abram, there seemed to be at least some knowledge of God in the area that, that Abram had come from. But, you know, who's, who's this king here? I mean, Abram has left his, his family and, and he's out here and these people are primarily heathen people. Uh, and yet there's this priest of God that comes and, and serves Abram. Uh, you see, he, he blesses Abram and, and seems to kind of remind him of a few things. Um, one thing he does, he, he blesses Abram in verse 19. And he, said, he, he says, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, you know, here Abram is already a wealthy man, but he's just captured, you know, who knows uh, what degree of wealth here in this battle. Um, when you consider the number of kings that are involved, I mean, it could have been a, a great deal and the number of cities involved in this. Uh, this could have been a great deal of wealth that he has, has uh, recovered here. And yet he's reminded that, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Um, you know, he, he may have some degree of wealth that he's, that he's built up and, and, you know, here he's involved with a great degree of wealth in these battles, but God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And he also reminds him that it's God that has delivered his enemies into his hand. And Abram's response is that he takes all of all of this spoil that he's recovered and he gives a tenth of it to Melchizedek, to the priest of God. Okay? And and the reason I think it's important that those verses are inserted there is so verse seventeen tells us about how the king of Sodom is coming out to meet Abram, and it seems to be in the meantime this encounter with Melchizedek takes place. Let's notice the, the attitude of Abram when the king of Sodom meets with him. In verse 21, it says, The king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He repeats what Melchizedek told him that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me. Honor Eshcol and Mamre, let them take their portion. And so Abram gives it all back, right? Because he says, I don't want anybody to think that the king of Sodom made me rich. The implication would be Abram is gaining some understanding here about things that have happened in his life and that it's the Lord who's working in his life. Now, um, you know, in the life of Abram, the, the point where uh, 
you know, over and over again, the Bible points to as the point where Abram became a, a, a believer hasn't actually happened yet here in, in Genesis 14. It's the next chapter uh, where the Lord promises to Abram, he, he tells him, in fact, we can look at those first few verses of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And verse 6 says, He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. There's where Abram gets saved. Now, um, you know, it's important in the life of Abram. I mean, he's, he's even obeying the, the Lord to some degree prior to that point. But it's at that point that the Bible points to. That's the point where he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. And, you know, just like, just like Abram, there's plenty of people out there trying, trying even, even legitimately, you know, honestly, trying to serve the Lord that have not believed on the Lord. They're trying to do things in their flesh, and that's what that's what Abram is doing up to that point. He he also does a lot of stuff in his flesh after that point as well. But um, you see here the the Lord working through the events of Abram's life to teach him some things about himself, so that he can come to that point there in chapter 15 where he believes on the Lord, and and this encounter with Melchizedek. Um, again, I think that's that's. And so I think Melchizedek comes out and meets him to remind him of those things because it would have been very easy for Abram to just accept all of that wealth from the king of Sodom. And probably more important than, than whether the king of Sodom thought he made Abram rich is who Abram thought made Abram rich. See, it would have been very easy for Abram to, to think, look at these great things I'm, I've accomplished and this great battle that I won, and, and here's, here's the fruit of my labor. Now, if you, if you go to, well, on your, way to, on your way to Hebrews, go to Psalm 110. Because we don't, we don't have any more mention about Melchizedek. He appears out of nowhere and disappears from the, from the record. Um, we, don't, we don't see a lot of... Uh, Discussion of him or, or anything like that. In Psalm 110, it's a short psalm. We can read the whole thing here. Uh, the, the first verse will be familiar to many, many of you. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And uh, that's a, a verse that's quoted Several times in in the New Testament, uh, pointing to the the glorification of Christ and him waiting until that time when he's going to return to the earth and his enemies will be made his footstool. 
Verse 2 says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In, in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. They weren't willing in his incarnation, but at that day, they're going to be willing, it says. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Notice, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And so here you have this passage where the Lord is addressing that the Lord in the sense of God, the father is addressing the Lord in the sense of God, the son, um, telling him, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And he says to him, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that brings us then to our what's really our text in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, which is the next place we even see the name Melchizedek in the Bible. Right? So you've got, you've got just those three verses in Genesis. You've got the mention in Psalm 110. And then we come over the book of Hebrews. Now, uh, you saw that name a couple of times in the, the passage that we were looking at earlier. And uh, it was basically a quote of Psalm 110 when he says uh, he'll, he'll make him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. You know, the book of Hebrews is largely a, a commentary on the, the fulfillment of the types of the Old Testament. So, you know, if you're ever reading in the Old Testament and there's something you, you wonder, you know, you, you know that all the book points to Christ. Right. And if you're ever in the Old Testament, there's something you can't understand. One of the first places to look for light on it is see if there's something in the book of Hebrews about it, because Hebrews takes so many of those types of the Old Testament and uh, and shows you how they're fulfilled in Christ and um, spends quite a bit of time here talking about Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. It says for this Melchizedek. Chapter 6 ended by quoting that verse again about Christ being a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. That, that name, that place name that's using there of Salem or Shalem, uh, be very close. You may be familiar with the word Shalom, right? That's a, uh, traditional greeting, uh, among Jewish people. That's Hebrew for peace. Same, same kind of thing. So here it, it says in calling him king of Salem, that is king of peace. And uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, attaches significance there, not so much to where the location of this Salem might have been. By the way, you also see that name in the name of the city of 
Jerusalem, right? Um, so some people think when it says he was the king of Salem, that may be a reference to the city of Jerusalem itself. Uh, now understand, at the time that Abram was in that area, that city of Jerusalem was just a just a heathen city. It was uh, the city of the Jebusites, one of those peoples that they were supposed to to um, cast out of the land. Um, if you know, if Melchizedek was king of that physical city, you know, makes you wonder some things about why that city would would be in the heathenism that it was in at the time. But uh, but the writer of, of Hebrews places the significance not so much in, in where the location of Salem is, but in the meaning of Salem, that he is the king of peace. And so he's the name of Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. You see how, the, how Hebrews interprets that for you. He, he says by interpretation, it's the king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And it says of Melchizedek in verse 3 that he is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.